Amen. Thank you, worship team. I'll give you guys a little insider tip here. Um, if you ever see Troy and Rock both with electric guitars, sit back, get ready. It's going to be fun, right? It'll be trouble, all right? I love it. Thanks, you guys. Thanks to the entire team. Well, good morning, Hope. Let me try over here. Hey, good morning, Hope. Good morning. Hey, all right. Excellent. Good to, good to be with you today. Uh, I want to, um, it's, it's great to be back up teaching this week. Uh, the last couple of weeks, um, so uh, we had John Lynch outside a couple of weeks ago, and then Jim and I both had intensive seminary classes all week, which was whew, something great and uh, exhausting. And then last week, um, we had an amazing guest speaker that just really hit it out of the ballpark, uh, Heidi Glenn, my wife, nicely done. Uh, Lara didn't clap, so you'll have to talk to her about that later. So, Just messing. Well, in this season as our church family, we have been feeling called toward learning to pray and pray more deeply. And so we're in a series of messages that we are calling Pray Like Jesus. We are working our way through uh, the Lord's Prayer, line by line, and unpacking it as we go. Um, but, but before we get into that today, I just want to think about the, the why of prayer. See, we know, if we're followers of Jesus anyway, we know that prayer matters and it's supposed to be important. But let's just be honest, um, for most of us, at least sometimes in our spiritual journey, prayer is something that most of us struggle with, at least from time to time. And sometimes we have to come back and ask ourselves, wait a minute, why, why do we pray? Why do we pray? Well, let me quote the brilliant poet and philosopher, um, MC Hammer here, right? Why do we pray? Just to make it nice, very nicely done, right? Just to make it today. And he's not actually too far off, really, because there are days where I go, whew, if I'm going to make it through this day, prayer is my lifeline. Um, but just, um, I want you to turn to the person next to you for just a minute here uh, and answer this question. What are some of the other reasons that we pray? We pray to make it today, but what are some reasons behind why we pray? Why do we pray? Just take a minute or two, turn to the person next to you. I would run back and talk to the two of you, but I don't have my mask on, so sorry, I miss, I'm missing out. And there's somebody back there, Sorry. All right, so let's pick on some people here. What are some reasons? Why do we pray? Uh, raise a hand and, and tell me what maybe the person at your table with you said. Yes, Valerie. Out of desperation. Who can relate to that? Yellow, yes. All right, who else? Throw your hand up so, because it's... Jim, yes. To draw closer to God. Absolutely. We want to be in relationship with God, and prayer connects our heart to his. So good, so good. Yes, Mona. Healing, we pray for healing. That's excellent. Yes, we want to see healing happen. Who else? Boy, I really am just going to stay on this side of the room over here. Yes. Oh, we're right here. Yes, D. To change the outcome of something. I love it. I love that. I love it. You can tell somebody was in the first service here. That's fantastic, right? Um, and I think it's really important that we acknowledge, you know what? Prayer does change me. Whether the outcome is changed or not, I know that when I pray, a lot of times what God does is he helps align my heart to his. It's very important, but it also is important for us to remember that prayer can change the outcome 
of something that might not have happened if we didn't pray. We pray because our prayers can change the difference, make a difference in the outcome of things. And that's what I want to touch on in the beginning of the talk today before I move to how it changes our hearts. Now, um, Jesus, as a way of teaching us to pray, gave us the Lord's Prayer, which is a model um, for our prayers. And in our Wednesday night uh, study, we break into small groups, and Kelly Robinson, uh, she and her husband um, are in my group, my small group on Wednesday nights, and we were talking about the Lord's Prayer, and I love what she said. She said, the Lord's Prayer, in how it teaches us to pray, I think of it as like a recipe for pasta sauce. Ready? Stick with this here, right? When you're first learning to cook or to pray, you need all the help you can get, so you follow the recipe exactly. But once you're comfortable with it, or once your relationship with God is closer in there, then you no longer need to follow the recipe as closely, and you can improvise, and you can make it your own. That was really good. And then she added, and then, with the pasta sauce, the Italian grandmas fight over whose recipe is better, right there, so... The first service laughed at that. We must have had some Italian grandmas in, in the house. But I love this metaphor, right? The, the, the learning to pray through the Lord's Prayer, it's like, it's like making pasta sauce. The recipe is really important. And then as you master kind of the essentials, the basics, the who, the what, the where, the why, then you can improvise more and personalize it as you go. But to start with a recipe, a framework, is crucial. Um, Side note here, uh, we, we had dinner with uh, Jim and Debbie Loofborough months ago, and, and he made an amazing pasta sauce. It was delicious. And, and I said, how did, wow, how'd you make that? And he showed me all the stuff that he'd cut up and put in, and then he pulled out the secret weapon, ragu. So, <laughs> works for me, right, guys? So, hey, I'll just add to the ragu. You got a, a nice base right there. So, but when Jesus taught us to pray... Back to the prayer thing here. Um, he gave us the Lord's Prayer as a model, a framework to teach us to pray. And sometimes, uh, I think it's so helpful for us to slow down, especially because this prayer is a prayer, that we, a prayer that we often pray in church or in groups or at funerals or different places. We kind of know the words, and so when we get really familiar with something, sometimes I know that I just mindlessly fly right through it and don't stop to ever like slow down and be thoughtful, which is part of why we're slowing down and taking this thing phrase by phrase so that we can work through the model. And partly, another reason to slow down and go through it is that we don't always know what people think they hear when they do pray the Lord's Prayer, right? So here, check this out. I've got our news covered. Would you like a little boost? I do. I have a sweet one, one for you. I got one. As many of you know, the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father is one of the central prayers for Christians. And it contains the line, hallowed be thy name. But one little girl, she heard it a little differently. Take a listen. Sarah. What is God's name? Howard. Who? Howard. Howard? How do you know his name is Howard? Because? Because what? Our Father and Lord in heaven, Howard be thy name. (laughs) Howard be thy name. Howard be thy name? I mean, it's obvious. Obvi. <laughs> Come on. Now, the next time you hear that prayer, are you going to remember this little yeah, girl? The Howard be the Howard name. Be that name. I love that. And good for her. She knows the Lord's Prayer there already. She goes. I love that. I love that. Howard be thy name, right? All right. So now, that was awesome. Let's stand and we're going to say the Lord's 
prayer together out loud with some enthusiasm as we get rolling here. Um, and this side probably knows, so I'll tell this side. Remember, guys, it, it's hallowed be thy name. Okay, you got that? Okay, all right, here we go. All right, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. All right, as you're seated, look at the person next to you and and say, nice job, Howard. I have a confession to make that many times during my Christian walk and Christian life and journey, um, I sometimes have thought of prayer as something that is probably important that I need to do, but I honestly didn't think sometimes that it made a whole lot of difference, right? I mean, a lot of people won't say this, but we kind of live that way. We're kind of like, all right, you know, I mean... Okay, I love Jesus, I know I'm supposed to pray, so I guess I'll pray, which for some of you is disturbing to hear a pastor say that, but then that means you're new and you haven't been around a while here. There are all kinds of disturbing truths and confessions here. Um, But when we live that way, and when I've lived that way, this next line of the Lord's Prayer that we're getting to this week, it really challenges us. Father, your will be done. Your will be done done on earth as it is in heaven, which, you know, we might pause and go, wait a minute, isn't God's will already done? Doesn't God plan everything and everything happens because he's in control and it's, what is Jesus saying here? I mean, why would Jesus tell us to pray that God's will is done here on earth, that it would be done as it is in heaven, if God's will is already done? Like, doesn't he have a plan and a map and this is just the way it's going to be and this is how it rolls? See, I believe that when it comes to the theme of God's will, many of us have absorbed this line of thinking that might sound comforting, it might sound spiritual, but it doesn't really line up with what Jesus apparently believed. Um, You know, bad stuff happens, and we shrug and go, well, (laughs) I guess that was God's will. Or we try to comfort ourselves with, well, you know, okay, well, yes, that was terrible, but you know, I don't know, God's in control, God's in control, or, or well, it's, it's all a part of God's plan. Sometimes we might say, well, everything happens for a reason, like that's a scripture verse somewhere in the Bible. Um, and it's stuff that we pull out because we don't know what to say, like especially when things are difficult and we don't have an answer, we need something to grab onto, so sometimes we grab a hold of phrases like that, but, but when we think that way and believe that way, that God has already planned it and mapped it and that's just the way it's going to be, there's nothing we can do about it, where there's nothing we're called to do about it, we have to look at even this line and other things that Jesus told us to pray and all through scripture the way we're taught to approach God or to pray and wonder why would Jesus tell us to pray that God's will would be done if God's will is already perfectly, fully done. I mean, if we believe that God's will is fully done anyway, then why bother praying, right? If we believe that, then it's kind of like, listen, if it's not going to make a difference since God already has it all planned out, then what's the point? And friends, if, if you believe that, and when we live that way, it cripples our prayer life. It will cripple our prayer life. 
See, the result of that kind of thinking or, or even Christian environments that behave this way, when it comes to prayer, then they believe it's already mapped out, that God's already done it, it's all in control, this is his plan, um, but we're supposed to pray, is in those environments, then there's this level of guilt that we carry that's, well, I know I should pray more. I know I should, but we kind of know that the truth is God's already willed it, so it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter. So, so you know, okay, well, fine. We're going to do our Christian activity, and I guess we'll tag a little prayer on here and there. Maybe we'll throw in some hyper-religious language to our activities to make it sound very holy and proper in front of God. But, but we don't pray, cultures like that don't pray with any sense of connection to God, any sense of relationship to God. Um, we don't learn to pray with power, and we might even look down on those who do pray passionately or with power, because that just seems odd or weird. Why would someone get excited? They're just emotional. Um, or maybe people that pray passionately actually believe that our prayers make a difference, that God hears our hearts, and that our prayers could maybe do something, maybe cause an outcome to go a different way. Because right here in the prayer, Jesus teaches us to pray, our Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in the heavens, or the heavenly realms is the translation. So friends, we, we have to understand that the theology of Jesus, as he teaches us to pray, his theology is not that will, God's will is automatically done here on earth like it is in heaven. It's not. And so God created a process all the way back in the Old Testament with the people of God were to bring his will, his way, his goodness. He wanted to partner with a people to bring it, which again, I think is just crazy, right? He's God, he's almighty. Couldn't he just like do it, right? Why does he depend on fallible human beings that we screw it up all the time? But ever since the time of Genesis, God looks for a people to partner with to bring his will his kingdom to more fully be done here on earth. Our prayers are a part, our prayers are a part of how God invites us to partner with him in bringing about his kingdom and his will here on earth. Now, I think the, the, the idea that God's will is not automatically done here. Like, there's not just some blueprint plan that he's mapped out and that's the way it's going to be. I think that's actually really good news. Like, some people, that'll really shake their faith, like, oh, what am I going to do? I think it means that God is even more sovereign because he didn't have to just run a plan. He will adapt and adjust and bring good out of any situation. He will work it for good. Some of the choices we make, I think, make it take a lot longer but I think it's really good news when we look at our world and see the devastation that happens that we don't have to go, oh yeah, that was just God's will, and shrug it off. You know, most of us wouldn't be callous enough to say to a mother, um, like I'm reading a book from Jessica Kelly is her name, her four-year-old son died. She'd been a lifelong Christian. Um, and God Willing is the title of this excellent book. And when people try to say, well, it's God is sovereign, it's his plan, it's his will, we don't understand. 
Um, it really caused her to dig into scripture. I highly recommend that book because it's good news that God's will is not, what you see is not God's will fully being done here on earth, right? Not everything happens for a reason. It's not a biblical idea that that's God's plan. Um, when we begin to see that God didn't take that family member from you, that God didn't give you cancer, when we begin to see that wasn't God's will, Seriously, that it's God's will that, that there are children being trafficked here in Chandler? That's God's will? No, that is not his will. That is not a reflection of his kingdom. So it's good news. It's good news. Um, and we can realize that we do live in a place where God loves us so much that the stuff that happens to us is not his plan. The bad stuff that happens is not his plan because we do live in a world that is still at war. God still allows other forces, other choices, other kingdoms to hold sway. Uh, evil kingdoms still succeed in our world at bringing chaos, at bringing death. And into that, we get to pray, God, not that stuff. We want your will to come. We want your will to be done. We want your kingdom to come here on earth. We know it's fully done in heaven, so will that realm begin to come here on earth, God? And friends, our prayers have an impact. It's not the only thing, and there are no guaranteed outcomes. If I just pray this way, it's, we would love for prayer to be a slot machine that we shove in the coin and pull the thing and we get the vending machine every time. It just doesn't work that way. But we are invited to exercise our own choices, our own will, our own prayers to influence and maybe see a different outcome. Which again, for me, is really good news because if I just believed that everything was planned, that God was completely in control, that this was all his idea, then prayer would be pointless, at least when it comes to asking God to heal someone because he's gonna do it anyway or to give me guidance or not because, well, he's gonna do it anyway. But friends, it's good news because that you and I are to pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. It gives us an important truth about prayer, what prayer is and why we would want to pray. Uh, Dallas Willard says it this way. Prayer is talking to God about what we are doing together, what we're doing together, how we're partnering with him. Prayer, talking to God about what we're doing together. Together. Like that's his intention for you and I to partner with God. Friend, you have an important part to play in bringing the kingdom and the will of God to be more fully seen here on earth like it is in heaven. You have a role to play as a partner with God to more fully see it, to more fully live in it. And that's why Jesus teaches us to pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. Because he looks down and sees what we see. He sees it even better that this world is not fully being done according to his will or his plans. Now, this circles us back to the previous line in the prayer. We pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done here on earth, just like it is in the heavenly realms. And so I want to look at kingdom here for just a couple minutes. Because um, in our day, we don't really think in our culture about kingdoms. We don't have that big concept of what it looks like. It's kind of an abnormal thought. Um, and a simple definition for just a general kingdom is where the decrees of a king hold sway, right? In a, kingdom's, in a king's realm, 
in his kingdom, he makes a decision, and that's what happens. That's a kingdom. That's a kingdom. His decrees, his word, what he wants, that's what goes, right? Now, the kingdom of God is where what God decrees, and right now it's in the heavenly places, where he decrees and what he wants in heavenly places perfectly happens as he wills it. Heidi used this great quote last week when she said, the kingdom of God is the range of God's effective will, right? So his range of will is fully done in the heavenly realms, but not fully here on earth. It's breaking through. The kingdom of God is advancing. It is growing. It is partnered through us, but it is not fully done here because here on earth, God is still gradually bringing about his kingdom by, again, partnering with us to bring his kingdom. Another thing that Heidi pointed out last week, and I encourage you to listen to that message if you you missed it, but she pointed out that kingdoms are personal systems of power as well. There's kingdoms that have to do with world powers and politics and nations, but, but kingdoms are also personal systems of power because you and I, we each have a kingdom. Every one of us has a kingdom. Even a a two-year-old has a kingdom. Their range of their will is not too expansive, which is why they say no, right? They're expanding their kingdom, (laughs) enforcing their say-so. But we each have a kingdom. So for you and I to pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, is a reminder to us that we are saying, okay, Jesus, When it comes to my personal kingdom, your kingdom, not mine. Uh, Your will, Jesus, over my will. Which is a dangerous prayer to pray. (laughs) It is unsettling for you and I to pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done. See, Jesus came Preaching, if you read through the Gospels, preaching the kingdom of God. And, hear me, Jesus came to subvert every other kingdom, including yours and including mine. Our personal kingdoms he came to subvert. (laughs) He also came to subvert all the kingdoms that looked really big and really powerful. Rome looked really powerful in that day. Um, How many of you have heard the phrase, Jesus is Lord? Have you ever heard the phrase, Jesus is Lord? Okay, Jesus is Lord. The way that phrase came about to be used so often was not so much while Jesus was living on earth. It was after he had ascended. And the Roman culture, you, uh, if you wanted to be in good with the powers that be, uh, you had to say, Caesar is Lord. They would proclaim it all the time. Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. In fact, if you wanted to be in business or buy or sell, you had to say Caesar is Lord as a part of the deal. Put that in your revelation equation, by the way, (laughs) what that's actually talking about. But you had to say Caesar is Lord. And so the Christians, the early Christians said, "Um, no, (laughs) no, Uh, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. See, they were being subversive. (laughs) They were being subversive. And declaring that Jesus is Lord in that culture could get you killed. 
But the followers of Jesus would still faithfully declare that the kingdom of God was their ultimate kingdom, no matter how big and powerful Rome looked in that day. And Rome, by the way, has really gone away, hasn't it? And the kingdom of God has advanced, and it looked upside down because it was upside down. And saying Jesus is Lord back then, when it was such a small movement and just expanding seemed foolish, but they trusted and believed that this kingdom of God was real and that Jesus really was Lord of their lives. Jesus is Lord of the life of any follower of Jesus. So sometimes in kind of our modern church culture, um, we invite people to say a prayer um, so that you get to go to heaven when you die. Problem is that that prayer is not anywhere in the Bible and that idea is not anywhere in Scripture, which is why you'll hear us very uh, intentionally when we make that invitation here. We invite people to do what Jesus invited people to do, to follow him to make a decision to follow Jesus. And praying the prayer is an important step in that, right? It's an important thing. Um, but, but when we become followers of Jesus, we're not just trying to get into heaven when we die, right? We are declaring as followers of Jesus that he is Lord over our life. And we pray this prayer and we're declaring that God's kingdom is over the kingdoms of our life and we turn our wills over to the will of Jesus because we want his will over our wills. And so praying God, your kingdom come, that means living in his story. You and I live in his story where he is Lord and he is king. Thy kingdom come means living his way. And it also means asking us or asking God to give us his heart. When we say, God, your will, your kingdom, we want his heart to be shown in us. What we want to do as we grow as followers of Jesus is see the heart of God grow in us where we care about the things that matter to our Lord, to our King, Jesus. Which is, again, why your kingdom come, your will be done is a dangerous prayer. It's a dangerous prayer. Instead of skipping past that line, what if we stop? And we have a guide back here that helps us pray through the Lord's Prayer, sitting by the offering box, feel free to pick one of those up. But, but what does it look like to pause on this line, thy kingdom come? God, your kingdom come. And then we start to break it down into some specifics. God, your kingdom come, your will be done in, ooh, in my life. God, your kingdom come, your will be done in my relationships. God, will you bring your kingdom to our world? Right? So we pray for the kingdom of God to come into different realms, different little K kingdoms, um, again, like, God, your kingdom come in my life. I promise you there's a whole bunch of examples I could use for what, what does it look like to invite God to bring his kingdom in my life. Uh, and one that came to me is that every week for quite um, a number of months, at least weekly, I specifically pray, Jesus, you are Lord. And I go through a lot of areas but the one that often makes me cringe a little bit because I go, what's he going to ask of me? I go, Jesus, you are Lord over our finances. You're Lord over our finances. Um, and then sometimes I'm glad that it's usually when I'm like here at 4 a.m. on a Sunday morning, like praying really early. So then he'd have to wake Heidi up and tell her too right then if he wanted us to, you know, do anything radical. So maybe it's not that dangerous of a prayer. But when we pray, Jesus... You are a Lord of our finances. That, I might need to loosen my grip on some things. If I really believed and trusted 
that what Jesus says about my finances, what scripture teaches about our money actually is real and worth following, then I might have to go, oh, he's Lord of my finances. How does that impact um, giving, generosity, tithing? And most of us will go, yeah, nah, I think I'd just rather keep that one over here. We'll let him be Lord of other areas. We want his kingdom in other areas, not that one. But friends, when we do that, um, and by the way, that is hardest to do, uh, I think, maybe when you have more, a lot of people think, when I have a lot of money, then I could be generous. No, we learn it when we don't have a lot. We learn it when we go, whew, if I give this, if I'm generous with this and I'm trusting God is in it, now he really has to come through. Well, guess what happens when he does? When he does, you get to see the kingdom of God come in very practical ways, blessing your life, surprising you, and you get freed up from that death grip that we have on money and finances for whatever reason. That's the kingdom of God coming in our own life, in our own finances, in our relationships. What's it look like? Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done, and my relationships might mean that that person that I'm really ticked off at who was wrong and offended me, I trust what Jesus says to do about that stuff and I lay down my way and instead of separating and pushing away, I reconcile that. That's what the kingdom looks like, especially if that situation looks impossible. My kingdom to come to my marriage might look like we start talking about areas that I'd rather not talk about because it'll just blow up and then we'll be tense with each other. Okay, God, will you bring your kingdom into our marriage? I might need some skills in how to better... Listen to my wife. Oh boy, I want your kingdom to come. Jesus, I want you to be Lord of my marriage. I want you to be Lord of my finances. I want you to be Lord of my life, of my relationships. By the way, if you pray, God, your kingdom come into a strained relationship, um, it's important for you now to take action about that. If Jesus is Lord, go do it today. Go talk to that person. Make the phone call. See him in person if you can. Reconcile that relationship. Let the kingdom come. Praying, God, your kingdom come into our world. Right? Jesus, your kingdom come to Chandler, Arizona, to the East Valley, to Gilbert, Tempe, Ahwatukee, Phoenix. Jesus, your kingdom come. We want to see your kingdom come and invade here. We want to see your kingdom invade our neighborhoods. We want to see your kingdom invade and take over and rule and reign here at Hope Covenant Church and the people around us. Jesus, your kingdom come. We just invite him into it. We just invite his kingdom to fully come in our world. And when I think about... um, That one in particular, what's it look like to partner with God, asking him to bring the kingdom to this world? I think of the parable that's a tough parable to read, but it's a parable Jesus tells in Matthew 25, starting in verse 31. And I just think, you know, Jesus paints these vivid pictures because he wants to cement in our heart the truth of what he's trying to get across. And this is is a tough one, but we're going to work our way through some of it, not all of it. I'll do the disclaimer in a moment. Listen to the picture that he paints. He says, when the son of man, which is Jesus' favorite term for himself when he's talking about himself in Matthew, when the son of man comes in his glory, which, just pause on that phrase, it's like, whoa, 
Jesus actually believes that the kingdom of God will fully one day come to this earth and that he's the king that's going to bring it. He's the Messiah to bring that kingdom. Whoa, okay. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all his angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. And all the nations, picture this. This is a picture of the kingdom coming, you guys. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep, you guys over here, on his right. Yeah, goats on his left. Sorry. That's good, that's good. And by the way, I'm just going to focus on the sheep in this passage. We don't have enough time to like deal with the whole goats part because it is pretty sobering. But let me just summarize the goats part. You know, uh, uh, just a little alert here, spoiler alert here. At the end of the passage, Jesus essentially says to the goats, if you don't have a heart for this kind of kingdom, the kingdom of God, if you're not a part of this, you didn't live it out or do it because it didn't matter to you, You didn't do anything to be a part of it. You really don't want to be a part of it. You don't share the heart of the king, so you're not in it, okay? That's just what he says, essentially. We can unpack that more another time. But back here to verse 34. The king will say to those on his right, the sheep, he'll say, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Wait a minute. I don't have time to unpack that, but holy smokes, apparently when you enter this kingdom, it's been prepared for you since the world began. Like Jesus has been working on this a long time. Okay, read on verse 35. For I, Jesus says, I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And just... Press pause for a second. The things that he is outlining here are consistent with the rest of Scripture in what God says matters to his heart. Old Testament onward, what matters to his heart. The king has a heart for people who are marginalized, who are left out, who have nothing. That was not God's will that they'd be poor and destitute in this broken world. See, the king has a heart for the needy, for the poor, for the broken, and his kingdom is the remedy for that. And Jesus is saying to the sheep, hey, there's some of you that actually believe that this kingdom was coming, so you oriented your whole life, your energy around this coming kingdom. You became people who wanted to have a heart like the heart of the king, and so you oriented your life about what the king cares about, what the king spoke about was important and says said was true and right and good. You loved like the king loved by loving people like that. You looked for ways to give to people who had less than you. You took care of people who couldn't take care of themselves. You stood up for people who were not in power and stood in solidarity with them. Even when hearing from other people, why that was a bad idea or offensive or divisive. You stood with them. (laughs) You showed grace, you showed mercy to people who had blown it. I think Jesus is saying in this parable, those people, those are the ones that get it. Those of you, the sheep that do that, you're the ones that get it. 
You're the kind of people who, when I return and establish my kingdom on earth, I think Jesus is saying, hey, come on in. (laughs) You get it. You get it. You've lived it. You get it. You anticipated my kingdom fully coming one day. So you oriented your life around the things that mattered to my heart. You partnered with me. So come on in. I mean, again, we blow through these familiar stories sometimes and don't really stop to absorb. But but apparently, guys, according to Scripture and the teaching of Jesus, it's really important for us as his followers to notice what touches his heart. He's the king. He's the king. And if the king has a heart for those who are needy, okay, then I will. I will. I want to do that. The king has a heart for the hurting. Okay, I will. The king cares about the oppressed and the mistreated, then I will. For some of us, <laughs> that means standing up in situations of racism. Hey, look at me. I'm a white, middle-aged dude, right? I have zero. It's interesting how people, when, when we go, oh, I feel I have not done enough. I, when we start to have the king's heart for justice and people try to throw it in a political box and I go, I'm just reading the book, <laughs> I'm just reading scripture here and trying to be humble and learn because I don't have to. I don't have to. It's way easier to not do it. And it's way easier to not pay attention to the kinds of people that move God's heart. The prison, the prisoner, the sick, ah, ah, I don't have to. I'm American. I'm privileged. I, nah, I don't have to. Unless, unless we let the king melt our hearts because we want to have a heart for what he has a heart for. Forget the politics of it. We just want to care whatever area about what he cares about. See, if the king has a heart of grace and mercy for people who've blown it, oh God, do that in me too. Do that in me too. See, I want to orient my life around the reality and the heart of the kingdom of God and I know probably all of you I know you do too. You want to orient your life, your heart around the reality of the kingdom of God. Now, this is always so funny to me. And we have to read the response of the sheep after the king says all this amazing stuff about how they cared for him and clothed him and all that. Verse 37, then... The righteous, the sheep, will answer him, Lord, when, when did we see you hungry and feed you? I mean, you kind of stand out. I think I'd notice, if, right? When, when? When did we see you thirsty and give you something to drink? When were you a stranger that we invited in or embraced? When, when did you need clothes and we clothed you? Because, again, you're, yeah, you're, we'd recognize you. When were you in sick or in prison and we went to visit you? Maybe the most sobering thing that Jesus says is verse 40. Let's read it out loud together off the screen. The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And the sheep 
And by the way, Hope Covenant is so full of sheep. I know that turned into some stupid, weird insult in the last season, but uh, let's, let's stick with Jesus' definitions, shall we? The sheep are the kinds of people that the king says, you, you are the ones. And here at Hope, I see it all the time, you guys. You have the kind of heart that God has. And when you do whatever you do, you do it for him. You're doing it for Jesus. You oriented your life around his kingdom, his mercy. You cared about the things that the king cares about. You care about compassion and mercy and love and justice and generosity. And when we care about that, we're helping the kingdom of God to more fully come to invade this earth right here, right now. Which is what God calls us to as his partners. Friends, we are. We are partners in bringing God's kingdom. He has chosen us, called us, adopted us as his own children. And if we are to take the words of our king seriously, we have to remember that Christianity is not just praying a prayer so that we can check off a box so we get into heaven when we die. Christianity is more than just following a set of rules. (sighs) Christianity is a relationship with God. It's a partnership with God. It's a partnership where he wants to work through us. And that's why we pray, God, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come right here on earth, right here, right now on earth as it is in heaven. Worship team, will you come? And so we pray. Jesus, you are Lord. Your kingdom come, not my kingdom, yours right now, right here in our world. Jesus, your kingdom come here to Hope Covenant Church. Your kingdom come to our city, to our cities, to our neighborhoods, to our schools. Your kingdom come, God, in our state. Your kingdom come, your kingdom come in our nation. Your kingdom come, God, in our world. God, your kingdom come in our church, in our relationships. Your kingdom come in my, maybe the hardest one to pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done in my life. Your will, not my will, be done in our world, in our neighborhood, in our city. Your will, not our will, in our world, our church. Your will in our relationships. Your will be done in my life. I I just want to say one thing here because I know when I hear that Matthew 25 passage sometimes um, I start to wonder whew okay I gotta grind this out I gotta get really serious about prayer and this is not that kind of a message it's just not it's an invitation to align with who God already says you are he's given you this heart if you have said yes to Jesus he's put it in you you get to set it free It's amazing the healing that God does when we begin to live out the way that his kingdom says we're supposed to live. It's sometimes it's hard, right? But we find on the other side of it, life and freedom. We start to find healing and wholeness Ah, because the kingdom of God brings that through us and in us, not just through us. He also brings it to us. to sing a song right now and I want to let this song just connect 
with your heart's desire. Just, just kind of sit in it for now, and probably somewhere in the song we'll stand together. But, 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 Jesus, we just yeah, we lay down our own way. We choose to trust you in your way, your path. We want to live in your kingdom, God. You're the only one. You are Lord, and I choose you in your way, Jesus.